Our first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the covering that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, See, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. The Moabites shall be trodden down in their place as straw is trodden down in the manure. Our second reading is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Oh, it's uh, good to be uh, with you. And it's interesting, especially on an anniversary. And what's fascinating is when Simon said all the songs that were, had that invitation of the word come. And I think when we approach anniversaries, we can always think of the past, can't we? And this place has got an amazing uh, history and past. But actually church anniversaries are a time for us to give thanks for that, but also to be invited into what God is doing next within us as a community of believers. And so I'd just like to share with you what my presidential theme was and, and maybe inspire you a little bit in the next phase of your time and history together. My theme for the year, and, and you, you do three years as Baptist Union president, you do, you do a vice president year, a president year and then a kind of lingering year um, and so uh, people still have to listen to this message and the new president Tim has taken on the theme as well but the whole point of building a bigger table is about being an authentic hopeful compassionate challenging Jesus focused community 
And what I love about the two readings that we've heard today is that actually they sum up what most of my experience and conversations with non-Christians has been about. Because whenever I talk to my mates or people that are in pastoral ministry, they are desperate. They are looking for a story in which they can be a part of. They're looking for something to join. And friends, we've got the greatest story ever told. It's a biblical narrative and it is the most beautiful story. And it breaks my heart as a church leader and as I've moved around churches that some churches, obviously not this one, but some churches have done a really bad job at showing and telling our story. And therefore it's been massively distorted. But I believe as we share our kingdom story, we see at the heart God building a table that he is inviting people into. Now I wonder if you were to go out into the streets of London, not now, that would be rude, but later on and ask people the question, what do you think Christians believe heaven is like? I wonder how they would answer. I don't know exactly what they would say, but I'm guessing they'd say something along the lines of, well, Christians believe, and it's kind of funny because it's a little bit stupid, but they believe that when you die, you leave your bodies behind and you kind of, your souls ascend into this disembodied bliss, like way up there, and they're on the clouds, playing harps, drinking Red Bull with the angels. That's what Christians believe about heaven. But our story isn't that at all. Our story is that heaven comes down. Heaven, I believe, is best described biblically as the place where God lives and where his will is done. Heaven comes down and God makes his dwelling place with humanity. And in doing so, everything gets restored. And so John is writing down this vision in Revelation 21. He can see that this restoration is taking place. God is making his home with all humanity. And suddenly there's no death, there's no grief, there's no pain, there's no crying. The former things, in other words, the earthly pain, the injustice, the inequality, all of this passes away and a new created order is established. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Eden, right? Humanity fully alive in the presence of God. Everything being restored. And in our Revelation reading, God uses a picture to build up this breathtaking image of a new heaven and a new earth. And central, central to that imagery is this great promise. God has come to dwell with humanity. And I want to remind you of that today because sometimes we can get so bogged down in life and don't get me wrong, I understand life can be painful, but sometimes we get so bogged down in it that we forget how stunning our story is. God comes into our brokenness to heal and restore. It's way better than drinking Red Bull with the angels. But how does God do it? Well, of course, the answer is Jesus. God wrapping himself in human flesh. He steps into the pain. Our God is not some distant deity shouting from the sidelines, stop messing up. That's not our God. 
Our God jumps into the mess and he begins to restore. He lives, he dies, he washes away our sins and he raises the new life. God steps into our communities and becomes the permanent guest at the table. It's that wonderful word, dwell. It, the word John uses conjures up the idea of God dwelling in the temple, revealing his glory in the midst of his people. That's what John's gospel says about Jesus. The word became flesh and lived. Eugene Peterson translates it as he dwelt, he pitched his tent in our midst and we gaze at his glory. God is coming to live forever in our midst. A healing, comforting, celebrating presence. And because of Jesus, that's not just something that's going to happen in the future. It's a certainty that we can experience in the most uncertain times. And you and I as disciples, as sent one, we have responsibility to communicate in words and actions what the new heaven and the new earth look like in our small part of the world. I wonder if you can humour me uh, a little bit and just reach out your hand. Or maybe not, don't worry. But if you could reach out your hand and just look at it. Just look at your hand. When Jesus taught on earth, he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thank you for those of you that felt really awkward doing that. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in touching distance. It's around us. And we live in the most uncertain and challenging times. And the kingdom of heaven is something that we need patience for. We need to wait. Because you may be sitting here thinking, Haley, you've just said heaven is at hand, but you don't know my life. You don't know how complex it is, how painful it is. Or have you not seen the news lately? It doesn't feel like heaven's at hand. And there are greater theologians than me, I'm not a theologian at all. There are greater minds than mine that have pondered on that issue. But what I do know is we're just waiting for the fullness of it. But that waiting isn't passive. It's like waiting for something to grow. So we wait with hope because we have a certain hope that God is doing a new thing. So I wanna encourage you on your church anniversary that God is doing a new thing, so you don't have to. God is doing it. Now, please, don't hear me wrong. That doesn't mean you keep the status quo. But what that means is you don't have to create the new agenda for church life. God's already done that. We just need to listen and to act. That's our role in this. Because when we listen and when we act to what God is already doing, we live like heaven is at hand. Friends, you are not called to be distant from your community shouting on the sidelines. You are called to dwell in your communities. And when we do that, when we do that, we build a bigger table. A table where God is the permanent guest saying to our communities, it's like this and so much more. You see, the prophet Isaiah wrote about this banqueting table, a rich feast where God speaks and dwells with his people. In Isaiah, God's promise was a vision of a party to end all parties on Mount Zion. 
This meal in Azara calls this ritual uh, meal taken on Mount Sion and served to the people to ratify a covenant between God and the recently freed slaves from Egypt. As in Isaiah's vision, this meal also marked the people's transition from death to life, from slavery under Pharaoh to life with God in all its fullness. In Isaiah's vision, on this mountain, God will perform the formal act of this cosmic drama between God and his people. And on this mountain, the God of the whole earth will defeat the ultimate enemy of all the people. And everyone will take hate partake in this ritual feast it's beautiful it was stunning and yet we know at the time that this was written on the ground it seemed like a fantasy to God's people a stunning articulation of a hope but not real life for them death was a reality how we understand this defeat of death when we experience it so acutely. We live in a world that is characterized by oppression, arrogance, hatred, conflict, death and mourning. And sometimes the church doesn't do its part to rectify that. We join in with it. And therefore, the last chapters of Revelation take up this promise of Isaiah. A time when God will wipe away every tear and invite everyone to a banqueting table. And so I want to encourage you in the next phase of ministry in this church to keep hospitality at the center of all that you do. Because sharing space with others is where God can dwell. We are meant to create tables where God is the permanent guest and others can join in. We are not the ones who can heal our communities. Only Jesus can do that. But through the Holy Spirit, we can show people a glimpse of the promise of God by inviting them to the party. You see, what strikes me most, what I love about the Gospels is Jesus's table ministry. The way he so often used the act of sharing a meal, the act of breaking bread as a way of letting people know that they were seen, heard, known and respected. Jesus uses common moments to house the most sacred. The table is an altar around which he welcomed the world to experience communion with God and with each other. And we can so easily forget that faith is a relational experience. It's almost impossible to move in Christ-likeness without other people. It's hard to move in Christ-likeness when we've got no one to extend compassion to or mercy and love. And Jesus gathered with priests and prostitutes, with the religious elite and the common street rabble, with his disciples and his adversaries. How many of us can say we're willing to gather with those who dislike or oppose or displease us? Do we seek their fellowship as well? Now you may be sitting there thinking, Haley, we're all Christians. There's no one that we oppose or don't like or hate. For me, it's Daily Mail readers. God really challenges me. There are, and I say that flippantly, I don't mean to offend anyone, sorry. 
I don't mean to offend anyone, but sometimes we can over-spiritualise it, don't we? We don't hate, it's such a strong word. But there are people, there are groups of people that when we think of, we don't have the most pleasant of thoughts. And God is challenging us to build a bigger table. What does inclusion truly look like? You see, because at this big table that Jesus had, everyone was treated with equal dignity. And even though sometimes Jesus had some harsh words for them, everyone left his presence with their dignity intact. And in a world where we are so often content to preach only to those who agree with us, to wall ourselves off in an echo chamber of our menning cheerleaders, Jesus models a different way. He fully engages on all sides and teaches each other and teaches people about each other in the process. For Jesus, the table, the meal table is a tool of connection. It transcends difference, it bridges disagreement. It declares the other is welcomed and worthy of hearing. This is the heart of the gospel, the ever expanding hospitality of God that you and I have to cling to. Because when we do, we show people what heaven is like. Now I know that will be costly and it will be painful. It will cause us to engage with people that we've only really seen from a distance, but never really looked at. But as we dwell with our communities, we will experience God's grace. We will learn to cheer each other on regardless of our differences. And it comes from hospitality. The hospitality that transforms both the the guest and the host. And then we see what heaven is like. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Because God is coming to live forever in our midst. A healing, comforting, celebrating presence. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you and I, you and I get to partner with God in communicating that to the world. That's our story. That's our calling. That's what building a bigger table is all about. Thank you. Loving Lord, we come before you now in myriad states and conditions, including those mentioned in the worship song earlier. Vagabonds, don't belongs, questioners, schemers, dreamers, the restless, the lost and alone. However, for all of these states, there is that welcoming hand that we heard in the sermon, and the great promise that there is room at the table. Lord, help us to appreciate this the more fully and to be able to share the wonder of love and the power of grace. Living Lord, breathe your grace into our lives and strengthen our hearts by your anointing presence. Sovereign Lord, we share a tarnished and imperfect world, one seemingly endlessly overwhelmed by the constant stain of bloodshed and violence. We have been thinking this week of the recent tensions in France, Palestine, the relentless military aggression in the Ukraine, 
which frequently dominates the news. But we must not forget other distant outposts of conflict too, many of which go unreported or lie buried under other news sources. Creator God, in your mercy, look charitably upon a fallen world. And let us remember now, nearer to home, those struggling, especially with health issues, several known to us in this congregation and facing a very uncertain future. For others, suffering the painful and often prolonged consequences of bereavement. For the many families burdened with debt and poverty in this cost of living crisis. And for all of those battling the consequences of both short and long-term unemployment. We also think particularly of those families affected by the Wimbledon school incident this week. And let us remember now in these nervous and often tense times the victims of crime and many who have to live with a permanent sense of injustice. For those on the very margins of society, for the outcast, for those resident in prison, and for their families, and for those who are appointed to supervise and support them in often difficult and demanding situations. Lord of compassion and healing, hear our prayer. For although we recognize that we live in a fallen world, it is in this season that we particularly appreciate the rich fruits of creation and yearn that they might be shared more equitably in a fairer world. Lord, teach us how we can become better and worthy stewards in the field of creation. Lord, thou who art the bread of life, grant sustenance to all who, through no fault of their own, are deprived of the plentiful fruits of creation. Some weeks ago, we opened the service with words which could be inscribed on our hearts and are worthy of much repetition. We are a people of hope. We are a people of faith. We are a people of love. We are God's people. Lord, in your abundant mercy, hear these our prayers. Amen. May the creator of love give us new hope. May the son of hope give us new faith. May the spirit of faith give us new love. So go in love, faith and hope. And may the blessing of God rest with us all. Amen. Amen.